does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Tony East joins us now on the guest line as we are live at the Indiana Convention Center for the NFL Combine. Tony East last night, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, Pacers, Pelicans. And Tony, reality is uh, really a good win for them because, you know, we obviously – I, I think we almost lose sight of the fact that here's a team in New Orleans that's a five seed. I know they had all kinds of trouble in terms of getting into Indianapolis and getting here essentially in the wee hours of the morning. And they were a little lethargic. I give New Orleans credit for dwindling down a lead and making it a game in the late fourth. But Indiana made the plays when they had to. Pretty quality game last night for the Pacers. Yeah, they, you know, context kind of be damned for them, right? They need every win they can get against good teams. Right now, given what their schedule is the rest of the way, given how easy Orlando's schedule is the rest of the way, like, Pacers just need wins. They need to keep up in that five through eight race. And so, even if it takes, you know, guys being out, but they had some help. Like, C.J. McCollum didn't play in New York, right? So, he was at least energy-wise more fresh than a typical weird back-to-back like that. And Falcons are good. They're top six, I think, entering the night in defense. They obviously have one of the most unique talents in the league. And Zion Williamson, and of course, the Pacers were slowly bleeding that lead for the whole game, but their start was so good, they were able to win. They really needed it, and they're in a three-way tie kind of for fifth now. It's a very strange-looking standing for the Pacers right now in the East. Tony, let's talk about Benedict Matherin for starters. When he, you know, obviously with Aaron Neesmith out, Benedict Matherin was a starter last night. And I feel like he is still a player that is kind of learning when it's go time and when it's sit back and let others create time offensively. And that's kind of the missing link right now to the totality of his game. Is that too critical a statement about him? No, I think that's totally fair. And to his credit last night, like the one time he took over offensively that late third quarter stretch, they needed him to do that. And he did. And it kind of saved them, right? They were teetering on the line of like up six, up seven and, he got him up 16 with that stretch, but there was too many. You know, he took 17 shots last night, right? Like, there's a lot of times where he is going forward in situations where he maybe doesn't need to. And it's interesting because we've seen since, you know, the, the All-Star break some progress, right? Five assists in all three of the first three games coming out of the break for Matherin, 14, 14, 15 shots in those games. So, you know, he, Siakam and Halberton clearly ahead of him in the pecking order, but he's starting, and he kind of picked the right spots better in those games. He was terrific in that Toronto loss. You know, that was one of his best games maybe ever. But then you have a game like last night where he takes 17. He only has two assists. You know, he he was shooting well from deep but not finishing well at the rim. So this pull-up is becoming a pretty cool weapon for him. Like, it's kind of changed the way he's defended, even though defenses can kind of telegraph it. But, you know, there is still times, and you saw it last night, where he becomes that guy that, is a little too your turn, my turny, and not enough within the team concept, even though I think he was better at that coming out of the break, but that is still the, the clearest growth point for him going forward. Pacers beat writer for Sports Illustrated, Tony East, is our guest. You can also find him on Locked On Pacers podcast. Just search it wherever you get your podcast. Tony, last night it's a three-point game with 3.15 to play. I remember you had remarked that it felt like the Pacers had kind of played around with this lead all night and – 
it didn't feel like a game they were going to put away. They wind up closing with 3.15 to play on an 11-5 run. Get a couple nice Tyrese Halliburton step backs. You get a Pascal Siakam layup and a dunk in there as well. Looking back at that three-minute stretch, is that more a chalk it up to the defense locking down like we hope they're able to do late in games, or is that more to offensive execution for how they're able to put away the Pelicans late in that one? Yeah, you were right by me. I mean, I said, I said, I think to you, Jimmy, when they were up like a dozen in the fourth quarter, that you know, it felt like the Pelicans still had a pretty good chance in this game. They just kept coming back and coming back all night, and the Pacers didn't have. They were really wobbly until that two-minute stretch late where they were excellent. And I think it's a little bit of both of the things you just said. You know, Halliburton really took over. I think that was what made that so significant. Miles Turner also came in with three twenty-four to go, though. I think that's kind of a and a key part to look at when you look at this close of the game because throughout a lot of the night, you know, you'd look down at the scores table. Zion Williamson comes to check in for the Pelicans, and here comes Miles Turner for the Pacers, right? He wasn't guarding him all the time, but there was clearly some sort of effort there with, you know, Jalen Smith going up against Larry Nance a lot and then Turner against Zion or whoever was out there for the Pelicans. And so that was key too, right? You saw in that stretch, T.J. McCollum missed, Zion missed at the rim, McCollum missed at the rim. Miles Turner played really good defense for that two-minute stretch, and he had a really nice night in one of the hardest matchups in the league. Like Rick Carlisle talked a lot. Some of it he was asked about, and some of it he just offered up, about how unique of a matchup Zion Williamson is. And like It's one of the toughest game plans to make in the league. He even hit a corner three that was just bananas. Like, he's just a great player. So Turner was huge in that stretch, but I, you know, the big takeaway, I think, long-term for the Pacers would be to have that two-minute stretch be completely dominated by the two stars. I mean, Halliburton hit the step back three to put him up six. And then three straight dimes to Siakam right at the basket. I mean, the farthest shot of that stretch for Siakam was three feet away from the rim. I mean, that is massive for the Pacers, right? That's what they want to be their closing strategy. Halliburton has the ball. He dictates everything. He sets it all up. And then Siakam can score. Halliburton can score, whatever. Like, that's what you want. You want your stars to be awesome. And that was probably their most dominant stretch, especially in clutch time of the season. They really had a good connection going kind of all night, four assists from Halbert to Siakam throughout the game. So I think you can kind of point to both ends as positives for the Pacers, but in terms of long-term, what the Pacers will look back at and go, maybe this is a turning point for us going forward, that Halbert and Siakam connection in that two-minute stretch was just, just perfect for them. Tony East is our guest talking about the Pacers. We are live at the Indiana Convention Center for the NFL Combine, querying company here on The Fan. Tony, you tell me which thought, I guess, should be more prevalent. Which one is more of a reality? A frustration, for lack of a better phrase, over the offense kind of slowing down into a half-court set, oftentimes when Siakam is on the floor just in that kind of – you know, mesh and mold with a new roster, or so should the emotion of that be more prevalent, or the optimism that they now have a guy for the postseason when play does slow down and goes more half court that can get his own shot and do so without orchestration or in the flow of an offense when a shot clock's running down and you need a bucket and they have the guy that can do it. Yeah, let me be the boring radio guy and be the fence sitter and say it's probably somewhere right in the middle, right? Like, of course, Tyrus Halliburton said this last year at the draft lottery, fittingly. Uh, you know, he was talking about the playoffs. Uh, he was watching and studying every game and what the Pacers need, how they came be better. And he said, you know, we're really good in transition. We're so fast, and that's great. That's a huge part of our identity. 
But in the playoffs, these games slow down. We're going to have to be good in those settings to be to be successful and to win games. And that's where Siakam can really help them, right? You saw that last night a bunch where, you know, he, they would have a tough possession and they could just toss it to him. And even with, like, really sizable defenders on him, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, whoever, he could just find a comfortable shot, turn and shoot. That's great. But when Halburn's not in the game, you know, he's kind of more in charge or has more on-ball responsibility. In the regular season specifically, when you can't change your game plan as much from game to game, it's just almost too unreasonable given how many games you have and how quickly they come at you. It's, it's really hard to kind of fully adjust like that all the time. So it is just a little more, I don't know what the perfect word is, but just a breakup of their style. And he's really good at it. You know, he had 24 points and five assists last night. Like, Siakam's a terrific player. But I think it is an adjustment at times. You know, you've seen the Siakam on Halbert and off minutes since the trade be fine, but not what you'd expect or hope for if you're the Pacers. But I do think in the playoffs that, will be better and they can game plan a little better for those situations and be more, more prepared. So I also think part of it's taking your lumps and you're okay with that if you're the Pacers, especially if it means playoff success and they'll be happy with that if that is the case. But right now, I, I don't know if it's concerning necessarily. It's not like those minutes are going horribly, but certainly something to look at and try to figure out what is the best lineup you can use around Pascal and Halberd's on out there, all that kind of stuff. Pacers beat writer for Sports Illustrated, Tony East. Nice enough to take some time with us as he does each and every Thursday. Tony, it's a three-game road trip upcoming for the Pacers. A, another face-off against New Orleans tomorrow, then Sunday at San Antonio, and Tuesday at Dallas. What's the likelihood that we see Aaron Neesmith return to the fold over this road trip? And then whether it's this road trip or beyond, which player or players will have the most adjustment in terms of maybe how they're playing or the minutes they're getting right now and the way they're contributing once he returns. Yeah, you know, he was questionable to play Wednesday night. It sounded like he did a little bit more on practice on uh, before their back-to-back over the weekend on Saturday. So I'd imagine he's not too far off of of a return. You know, he's not, like, impeded moving or anything like that. It's just a a pain thing. And, you know, he's been wearing stuff on his shins all season. I know it's an ankle injury, but they're, you know, the close proximity kind of deal. He dealt with the shin stuff in January. So, you know, they need him, right? He's a terrific player. Uh, They've got a really – like, this is among their most important stretches of the season to me, given now what the standings are their next six games. Orlando obviously is in that stretch, but, you know, a a road-heavy march coming, some tough opponents. Like, if they can get him back and do well – that would be huge. They need as much reinforcements as they can possibly get. As for what it means for the rotation, you know, Matherin would go back to the bench, and then you have to think what that could look like. Like Maybe fortunately, maybe unfortunately, however you want to look at it, McDermott is injured right now himself with a calf strain, so their 10 just kind of is sorted out anyway. You just play 10 guys, and you know, Ben Shepard's your 10th guy. He's your reserve wing, and your bench can be exactly the same as it was otherwise You know, against New Orleans on Wednesday, and you know, I thought it'd be a topic of discussion, you know, who would play between Shepard and McDermott when healthy. Well, so far, they still haven't needed to, to kind of sort that out. And Ben Shepard's been phenomenal of late, so I think he'll continue to play. But, you know, as it stands, I think you'll just see Neesmith plays and starts and Matherin goes to the bench and they sort out some wing minutes between, you know, Matherin and Shepard as the reserves. And Matherin will certainly get more, but I think that's kind of how it'll break out. Yeah, Shepard to me, Tony, looks like a guy that – I was just telling Denary this. I was talking to him earlier today, and you tell me if you agree with this. In the last week, probably, you can almost like visibly see the game slowing down for Ben Shepard. Like 
he just, especially when the ball rotates to him on the wing, he just looks more comfortable in just taking a slight second to get his shot off as opposed to rushing it because he feels like the game was being played faster than it was. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, that always is kind of how it goes for guys is they, once they figure out where their shots are going to come, they know they can take their time and really knock them down. And I think for me, the, the key thing with Ben Shepard, like he's a confident guy in general. You know, I, I, if you've met him, like, I've never seen that dude not smiling in my life. But the the way that he kind of plays, you know, as a rookie, I get this natural hesitancy. Like he would he he would catch in the corner and then look at the rim and then kind of like process it. And maybe some of that is the game being too fast for him. But I think some of that was just like he's a rookie wanting to make the right play. So he'd think about moving the ball or putting it on the floor or something like that. And he talked about this, and Rick Carlisle talked about this. A couple of players have talked about this. They've encouraged him, including recently, but all season, to be like, yo. Shoot it. Like, we trust you to shoot those shots. If you're open from three, let it fly. Like, you're a good shooter. We drafted you because we think you're a good shooter. And the defense has obviously been incredible this whole season and has been a big part of him getting on the floor. But I think that confidence boost where they're saying, yo, we trust you. You're on the – like, this is a Rick Carlisle thing. If he thinks – if he puts you on the floor, he trusts you to shoot it, right? So he's taking more threes. In this last five-game stretch, that really good game in Toronto up through last night, He's taking four threes a game, and obviously he's drilling them. He had that five-for-five game against Dallas. But I think getting that volume up and being willing to take them is just as much of a a sign of his progress and kind of understanding his final team, if anything. You know, he's only taking under two per game prior to that stretch. So I think the game is slowing down. I think he's more confident. I think the team really trusts him to defend and make shots, and that kind of player is really valuable. He's been awesome for them in this stretch. Tony, the NFL Combine is here. We're at the Indiana Convention Center for it. It's become an annual event on the sports calendar in Indianapolis from a commerce standpoint. The NBA just hosted the All-Star Game in Indianapolis. I have heard, I have read that the league itself, the NBA, the association, was very happy with Indianapolis's ability to put on said event and that it could parlay into a steadier rotation of Indianapolis being a showcase city for the NBA to put on events. Fact or fiction? I would believe that for sure. I think that it helps uh, for the league's perspective that they have a WNBA market here as well, right? It just kind of makes everything easier. Like the next two All-Stars have a really are, good player possibly, right? <laughs> two really good players, yeah. I right. Mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a sensational kind of thing for both leagues to be able to do that. And their next All-Star break is uh, in, in Golden State Bay Area. And then after that, it's L.A. Two more now W markets. And, you know, we'll see if that kind of trend continues. But it's just, you know, as you can see from the Steph Sabrina thing, the leagues are crossing over. They're working together more on this kind of stuff. Like as these become more – a celebration of basketball in general and, and more about the leagues, plural. I think that's really huge. And, you know, they, they had those kind of changing rules about uh, cities hosting leagues. I think Indy doesn't have all the international flight requirements that I saw on that list uh, from the Oklahoman who reported that. But they have the space. They have the structure to do it easily. Like, you could walk absolutely everywhere, mostly depending on where, where you were staying. Right, You guys are at the convention center right now. Like, you're in the heart of exactly what all of that looks like you know, for hosting and sports. So, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Like, out again, you know, Jake, you tweeted the same thing I did. Like, it was comedy how it was so nice weather-wise. It snows for three days and everybody complains about that. And then as soon as everybody leaves, it's warm and sunny. Outside of the weather, I think, right. every, I think everything went great from a hosting perspective, from the venues, from the hotels, everything like that. So, you know, everybody's going to want warm weather cities, sure. But, yeah, I think that the, the layout of everything – is really good for what the league wants to accomplish. And that would make me believe fact of what you just said, even though the 
the airport part of it that I that I read about uh, maybe would would push back on that a little bit. Tony East joining us on the program. Pacers on their way. Matter of fact, leaving in about two hours from now to head down to Narlands for a rematch with the Pelicans and then a Texas two-step. Tony, of course, will have all of that covered in the various outlets in which you can read and listen to his work. Tony, appreciate it as always. Yep, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Tony East joining us on the program. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm going to give everybody kind of a glimpse, a scene set of the NFL Combine. We're in this room, Exhibit Hall J, it would appear, in the Hoosier Quarter of the Indiana Convention Center. Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook. Cameron here engineering. We've got Eddie Garrison back in studio. And there are other teams all around us with their tables set up. Um, you know, the Steelers are just across the way from us. We're next to the Jaguars. We're in front of the Patriots. The Titans and Vikings decided to leave. And then on the other side of a huge, um, I don't know what you'd call it, like tarp wall, whatever, is where all of the booths are where players go to do their mass interviews. And there are large stages set up for different media outlets, nationally speaking, about the NFL Combine. Now, all of that is exciting stuff for people that cover the National Football League, like our next guest, Matt Verderam from Sports Illustrated. And I have never seen – I've covered, I don't know, 25 NFL Combines. I saw people get excited in the debate between Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. I saw people excited about C.J. Stroud last year blowing everybody away, saying that he's a ball placement specialist. I've seen all of it, right? I've never seen anybody more excited to talk about a subject than Matt was when he immediately said, I've got to tell you about what I witnessed in Indianapolis that is the most incredible thing. And this is a guy that lives in Chicago, right? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> you, I, Honestly, like you, when I was in the eighth grade, Matt, I went with – a group of friends on a school trip to Washington, D.C., and it just so happened that my myself and my other eighth-grade buddies were staying in a hotel and in the gift shop. It was the episode of Playboy that had Vanna White, and we managed to get somebody to buy us a copy of that Playboy with Vanna White in it as 14-year-olds, and we were less excited. Totally, right? And we were less excited than you are about this subject matter. So. Well, I don't know what this is about me, but that's okay. Um, but it's accurate, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I, you know, when I, whenever I come to India, it's my favorite trip of the year. I love coming here. I love going to Prime. I love going to Elmo's, all that stuff. But uh, Monday night was the first time I was here, and, and I met up with a few friends who also covered the league. And it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. We had done all we could sourcing-wise. We're like, you know what? Too bad there's nothing open because used to, used to be steak and shake. It used to be you'd go to steak and shake right. and you'd go down there and that was where the NFL was, right? But now that you can't do that, so we see a Taco Bell that's open. Oh, man, that that's clutch. That's great. And we go down there and there's a full bar in there. There's Hennessy. There's Don <laughs> Julio. There's there's Patron. There's 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 beer on tap. And one of my buddies who was 
feeling pretty good at that point. Had two beers on tap. Another one of them ordered seventeen dollars worth of tacos. Knocked it all down. <laughs> right? I mean, we were we were. There was a nightclub in the back. Like there's a raised up area that's kind of like a perch, and you can go back there. And there's even a sign that says like Party Moss. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. So I decided I'm making that a feature. I'm writing that for yes. Sports Illustrated. So, so Sports <laughs> Illustrated sends you to Indianapolis to cover the NFL Combine and the possibility that the Chicago Bears of the city that you live Correct. with the number one pick may trade out of it. They may keep it. They may – nobody knows. And the big story is the fact that you can actually get yourself a Chalupa and a Modelo all in one sitting at 3.15 in the morning. Would you like a Mountain Dew Baja Blast with Don Julio? Because it can happen. <laughs> so I, I called my editor. I'm like, listen – I know you're not going to be probably overly thrilled at this, but this is my idea. And there was just a pause. It's like, do it. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. I mean, look, he hired me. This is his mistake. Okay. So, so you've been back to that now how many nights? Every night I've been here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's part of the story. How many, the, how many mornings? <laughs> oh, enough. The funny thing is, I, like, everything, obviously, we're here, you know, for the company. Like, we're expensing it. And I thought to myself, like, I don't have the guts to expense this. I cannot expense Taco Bell at 3.30 in the morning. Why is Verderam expensing $118 of tacos? <laughs> I called my wife. I'm like, listen, we're going to have to eat a little bit of money here. But it's for the story. And so next I got to call Taco Bell and find out, like, how many of these places are there? Like, how many Taco Bells are there? that are also a place you can party at. Well, this was like a controversy when it, it, yeah. it just opened. Yeah. And there was a there was a big controversy over, you know, I don't know if like it was a, a Taco Bell. It's in the Circle Center Mall. I double-checked it. So there's a Taco Bell That's in the mall. And they defined that because of its location, the city or whichever government was involved in it called it a captive Taco Bell. So it had no bearing. Well, the on one the, in the mall has got no chance now, right, Matt? Yeah. No, why would you go there? Why would you go there? Because you're under 21. You can get the, well, yeah, sure, right. Where you can get tacos, and then you can also pregame or postgame. Like it, it was unbelievable. Did they have a full Taco Bell menu? Yeah, yeah. There's absolutely. a couple of them around There's the country. Four touch screens that you can just boom, 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 boom. I mean, this look. This is like when I was in high. I'm 35 now. So when I was in high school, and Applebee's would close at 10 o'clock at night, and they'd close for an hour, and they'd reopen as Club Applebee's. And I'm telling you. This you, was in what town? This was in a lot of towns. There was like a couple hundred. There was okay. actually like a Business Insider article about it from way back when. This is not the first time I've talked about this on the radio, believe it or not. And my buddy and I used to sit in the parking lot. We were like 17. And we would just make fun of the people walking in. I mean, it was guys in like affliction t-shirts that were like two <laughs> sizes too small. Yeah, yeah. The, the big chunky jeans and all that. A thousand yeah, yeah. percent. Yeah. And you're like, what is, the, what is the rate of divorce of people who meet at Club Applebee's? Is it 100%? Is it somehow higher? Right. Like, what? And it was incredible. And it just went on. I don't know if they still do it, but this went on for like a while. So I'm glad to see that Taco Bell said, listen, we're doing great. But you know what would make us do even better? If you More dump alcohol. Don Julio into a soda. <laughs> That's what will get the job done. And apparently it's working because here I am. The one in Vegas you can get married at, which is not surprising. Really? It's on brand for Las Vegas. But I, did, I was just in Vegas, Matt, and I didn't know about the Taco Bell Cantina. This, but, is, this is a mistake. So, I mean, I went for the sphere, but I missed the, the true Vegas experience, <laughs> right? right? I mean, they had a chapel in our, in our casino, right? Yeah. Obviously, well, yeah. goes without saying. Yeah. But I missed out on the true experience. I am I am blown away by this entire thing. <laughs> and like, you should see the working log. Like, I you don't give right a damn now. about the combine at this point, do you? I don't care. No, <laughs> I, um, I I've abandoned my responsibilities, and now it's just all about this. And this is going to be one of these things. Either like six people read it, and and my editor's like, "Why did we send you to do this?" Or it blows up, and there, and now I'm Taco Bell guy. Do you have a go-to order? Now, now this is like what? Do you have a go-to order? You know, it, depends. it depends how much um, t- 
time I've spent at other establishments throughout the uh, day. It could be a couple soft tacos. It, it could be a cheese gordita crunch. All right. Depends where we're at. Last night it was a crunch wrap supreme. It was a long night. Now, um, was it the long night? <laughs> did the long night also begin there? That's the question, no, right? No, it, <laughs> right? It's, I'm, I'm staying in the circle. So it's like on my way back, and I just pass it. And I'm like, well, here we go again. You know, but now I can say, like, well, I'm working. This is work. So I went in there last night. There was like a dozen people in there just ordering, hanging out. I was like. So are there people, like, is it like in the background? No, it's not. They have like TVs up there. But there, I went up there because I was curious. I'm like, is anyone alive up here? And there was a guy just like slumped over sitting there. And I don't know if that's because he lived Moss too much. <laughs> Or if he just was like, I'm going to go inside and like just hang out and like kind of recalibrate myself for 20 minutes. But like the other night I walked well, in. it might be home. It, well, and, and yeah, and that's unfortunate. <laughs> like that, that is the other option that would be unfortunate, but possible. But, you know, it's funny. Like the first two nights I went in there, it wasn't anything. It was just people. Like there was a. Have you seen any I NFL like, personnel there? Like, I, I, yes. I, I would yes. Love to see Andy Reid. I won't say who it was, but Bell. yes. Like a prominent coach was there one night. <laughs> and I'm not going to put that in the story because I feel like he wouldn't be thrilled about that. But like, yes. And it actually turned into, like, a sourcing thing. I was like, like this is crazy. I swear to God, as word gets out, like, there's a 1,000% chance there's going to be coaches there just you to think, live in the dream. This, do you think it's possible that a huge trade, like, for example, the Bears. Yeah. The Bears have the number <laughs> right, one pick yeah. in the draft, right? Do you think it's possible that the Bears end up trading Justin Fields after too much Don Julio at 3.15 in the morning over oh, a Chalupa? I think there's a real chance. I think, there's a, <laughs> I think, blast I think that Don the Julio. trade is like, listen, we're going to, you know, we're the Falcons. We're going to give you, the, we're going to swap the eight and nine picks, and we're going to give you a second. You're going to give us Justin Fields, but only if you also buy his two bean burrito. <laughs> like, it's just uh, that would be if I could ever get that scoop. I'd Can you retire. believe? How bad is this? I, I'm. We live in Indianapolis. Yeah. It's only been open for how long, Jimmy? Like, uh, like a month, maybe, right? Yeah, if that. I've not been yet. Oh, you've got to, you got to go. You've got to go. I mean, just look, just swallow your pride and just do it. <laughs> All right. It's amazing. The people in my hotel room must be like, "What? What is happening? <laughs> like, there, there's Taco Bell like bags in the corner. They don't fit in the garbage can anymore." Because I'm like, "I'll get it to go." This guy just left at four o'clock in the morning again. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? They, they have to have so many questions uh, at this point. It's the second biggest storyline of the combine behind what? I think it's got to be right now like the, the order of the quarterbacks, right? Because you've got Caleb Williams, right? Everybody feels like deep down is going to go number one. And then after that, you have this argument now between Drake May and Jaden Daniels. Like, which guy is second? Which guy is third? Then there's this weird, like, I feel like J.J. McCarthy's almost on his own tier. I think most people you talk to in the league think he's ahead of Knicks and, and Penix, who have a wide range of opinions. You could talk to people who think they're going to be top 15 picks. You could talk to people who think they're day two picks. Like, it's a weird... So I, I think I think Williams is the one. Like he's good. I would be shocked if he doesn't go to Chicago. I would be shocked if that doesn't happen. But then after that, like Washington's going to take a quarterback. But who is it? Is it May? Is it Daniels? Is it even like does McCarthy work his way in there? I don't think so. But then there's yeah, there's just these weird there's these weird tiers afterwards. I don't know that anybody's really figured it out yet beyond Caleb Williams at one. Matt Verderam of SI, National NFL writer for them, is our guest. Matt, the Colts think internally they have the franchise quarterback. Colts fans certainly hope they have the franchise quarterback in Anthony Richardson. If you were a front office member with what is available in this quarterback class, because the talk is maybe the Colts have jumped the line because they think they have the QB, would you rather think you have that quarterback, thinking back to Anthony Richardson's film, or would you rather be a player for a quarterback in this year's class? Unless I could get Caleb Williams, I'd rather have Anthony Richardson. I just think I think the upside of Richardson is astronomical. Now look, like 
you never know what happens. I mean, he could be a guy who, for whatever the reason, doesn't pan out. But, like, his traits, his tools are ridiculous. And before he got hurt last year, I know they lost. I go back to that Rams game. The game was ridiculous. Like, there are not too many kids in, what was that, his fourth start, third, fourth start, who, who play like that against a team that ended up being a damn good football team that went to the playoffs, that took Detroit to the limit. I think for the Colts, like the order of business right now has got to be, look, get Pittman done. Either tag him or sign him long-term, whatever you get, eventually get him signed long-term. And then start building around this young nucleus. You know, the interesting thing, Matt, I, I was mentioning this earlier. There's two ways to look at this. This is a, a deep wide receiver draft. So, so does that mean for the Colts that they think, you know what, there are so many great receivers in this draft, and if we have the ability at 15, uh, uh, 15 where they're picking, if we have the ability at 15 to get an upper end of those guys, man, we could get a real playmaking open space guy. Or does it mean that they actually can say, we got to use that 15 on a different need because we can get high quality in two or three yeah. at the receiver? Like if I were the Colts, I'd, t- I'd get it done with Pittman and then add to the defensive backfield. Like, go get a corner. Go get another – because Kenny Moore's a free agent. We'll see what happens with him. You know, I know they, they, they have Brents from last year. Hey, I'm a big Clemson guy, you know? so there's one that's going to be sitting right there, right? Yeah, I mean, I you know, and, and I look at a guy, too, like uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry out of Alabama, who everybody's loved for years. It's, I mean, it's a good corner class. It's a good – Kalen King, this guy out of Penn State, you know, is another guy I look at. I Cam Hart at another dame down the road who – look, he's not a first-round pick, but he, he might be a day-two guy, really talented. I – I just think, you know, if you're the Colts, the, the danger with the draft, and teams do this all the time, is like, let's say they let Pittman go because they're like, hey, we can get a receiver. Well, what's to say that receiver's not going to be Nelson Aguilar, you know, or Jalen Rieger, you know, or Quentin Johnston last year? And maybe Quentin Johnston turns it around, but had a, had a struggle as a year, as year went on. Like, it's just, you know what Michael Pittman is. Michael Pittman's a really good football player. Like, and if you let that guy walk and you're like, we're going to draft, you know, fill in the blank with the name, and then the guy doesn't pan out, and now you're like, damn, we don't have Pittman, and we, we blew this first round. It's just, I'm a big believer in, like, you know what that guy is. Sign him. He's been in the program, and now he's probably going to play the best quarterbacks ever played with. We had seen all the news last week of where the cap was finally established, and it yep. took a jump that was larger than what some expected it to be. The headline I kept going back to was people talking about how Houston with C.J. Stroud now has a real opportunity to spend stupid money because yep. they can contend potentially now next year with what he did in his rookie campaign. Do you agree with that sentiment? And do you view the Colts in this quarterback arms race knowing that they're on a similar timeline with Houston just in terms of where the South is, that they should do the same? Yeah, I do agree with the sentiment. And I think, look, the Colts get a little overlooked nationally because they didn't win that game at the end of the season. They don't make the playoffs, but they win that game. They win the division. I mean, that, you know, and then you're talking about the Colts as the, the Texans, right? Then you're, like, looking at them that way. I just think it's easier with Houston. You can project them because Stroud had this incredible year and Richardson really didn't get to play very much because of the injury. But, yeah, I mean, look, if I'm Chris Ballard, Chris Ballard is a good GM, but he's been somewhat conservative throughout the years in free agency. I do think there's a balance. You don't want to be that team that just goes out and wins free agency because that team always loses free agency in the end. Like that, that team was Washington forever with Dan yeah. Snyder, and it was Miami with like Donnell Ellerby and Mike Wallace, and, and it's like, how's that going? And the right? Cowboys played that role for a couple years, right? There, right? And, it, yeah. and it's just like those teams. It never works. Look at the Chargers and J.C. Jackson. How's that going? <laughs> right, twenty million in dead money next year. But I do think there's opportunities on that like second tier where you can really add. Good good, solid players that maybe aren't like your frontline guys, 
But they're guys who are like, okay, this guy can come in and he's going to be a good starter for us on a second contract for three years. You know, like I look at, I mean, the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl. You look at a guy like Justin Reed who came over, second contract, didn't pay him a fortune, wasn't Marcus Williams getting 5-70, and 70, they got 3-30, and 30, and he's been an integral part of that team, right? So I think for the Colts, I'd rather have four or five guys like that than these two massive spending spree type of signings that you walk away from going, so when is the dead money hit? Because this guy actually isn't that good, and we owe him $25 million in two years from now. Which do you think is a harder, Matt Verderam, SI, our guest, which is a harder, like, vat of mediocrity to get out of? Being 7-9 and nine and 8-8 eight and, eight and drafting 20th every year or 12-30 at night at Club Applebee's? Oh, man. Club Applebee's, like, because you uh, could you could make a bold move in the draft at seven and nine. You can make a bold move at Club Applebee's. You can, brother. but that ends in prison um, or divorce court. Um, That's right. Yeah, Club Applebee's. I feel like I feel like once you've stepped into Club Applebee's, you've told the rest of the world that you've given up. Really, you're, you're walking around with a white flag, right? Yes, like you have surrendered as a human being. Where, By the way, just so you know, apparently my sources tell me, Matt. Okay, okay. my source. Sources are telling me that Taco Bell Cantina is the best. You agree, right? I do. Okay. There is one along the beach in Fort Lauderdale. That must be unbelievable. So so let me tell you something. If Bears-Dolphins takes place next year, we know know which game you're picking, right? We we might have fixed Thursday Night Football. Like, the the games are so bad, but if you just go watch them at Liv Moss, then they Do they have TVs in there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Multiple big screens. <laughs> By the way, I found the article for Club Applebee's there it is. from Business Insider. Just the headlines, all we need. Check out the debauchery when Applebee's turns into Club <laughs> Applebee's after 10 p.m. No way. What town in Chicago was Club Applebee's? Like, which suburb? I, that I, know. I was in New York. I grew up in New York. Oh, okay. So this was in, this was like outside New York City. But it was like but, Long Island? Yeah, like right on the outskirts. But there's there's a lot of them. Like, there, it wasn't like there was a lot of Comac them. Applebee's. It's so funny. So I'm actually going to a wedding in Comac in August. Yeah. yeah. You know, okay. And, and I'll tell you what. Listen. If Applebee's is still a club, Applebee's, <laughs> I know where the after party is going to be. Because my buddy who's getting married, he's down. So here's the thing. Okay. If you go if you go to the um, Fresh Market in Comac, yeah, that was formerly the Comac Arena, the Long Island yeah. Arena, which it, is where they ABA um, used to play there. Yeah, and yeah. Frampton Comes Alive was recorded there. That's right. So you can go go have yourself a couple. Uh, you know, Club Applebee's, and then Club head over Apple, there, man. Club Applebee's was like actually a thing. I don't know if it still is. I really don't. But I'm telling you, man, when that first started in high school, I the one I went to, uh, if I remember correctly, was in Middletown, New York, where I near where I grew up. It was like so. It's like an hour away from Long Island, like Orange County, New York, and it was it was ridiculous. Like people would pull up there dressed to the nines. <laughs> and you're like, what? And then, but it also, like, their version of the nines was like an Ed Hardy t shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, like, a, and a hat that said, like, never the, surrender. The shoes that yeah. look like cowboy boots, but they're actually, like, ankle yeah, the high. Low tops. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Just, I mean, it was just, and we just sit in the parking lot and roll the window down and just openly laugh at people. I, 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 I don't. I shouldn't say this on the radio here because I'm I'm a proud Hoosier, but but essentially what you've just described is like 91 of the 92 counties of Indiana, you know that, right? I mean, like Listen, I, Indiana. So I drive every year from outside Chicago to New York. I go back for a month every summer with my family, and uh, I always drive right past the RV Motorhome Hall of Fame. Yeah, of course. The first time I saw that, I had to pull over and like collect myself. I was blown <laughs> away. 
and I told a buddy of mine about it. And I, years later, I get a text message with like eight pictures. He stopped there. Oh, of course. And yeah. he's like, I'm in the theater. There's nobody else in the theater. There's a movie about this. Like, it was just. And every yeah. time I pass it, that's all I think about. I'm like, one day I'm going to just stop. I'm going to go in and I'm going to see what's you know, You know what you could do, Matt? I, the, listen. This is the marketing mind you're dealing with here, right? <laughs> what what you do is you buy yourself an RV, right? Yeah. You then you you RV it a couple of years in a row, but you stop at the Taco Bell Cantina, you load up, you become basically a mobile Taco Bell, and before you know it, you are in the inducted class of the RV Hall of Fame. That'd right? be amazing. <laughs> that would be the highest honor of my my life and or career. Um, like just be, yeah, just be like, like fran- can we franchise a mobile Taco Bell Cantina? Is that something that is possible? Why not? There's got to be a market can there. I, can I live moss like at, at, a, at a gas station? <laughs> like, can I, is it, is can it we, possible? Can we get at the snake pit maybe? Yeah, the snake pit. You've been to the Indy 500? I've not. I'd oh, love to go. It's like a bucket list thing, but I've never been. I mean, the, the, the snake pit of the Indianapolis 500 is essentially a Taco Bell cantina for 80000 Okay. And then you add another quarter of a million around them. I'm, I mean, I'm open to breaking every copyright infringement law that there is. <laughs> I don't care. You know? um, Indianapolis is going to do what at 15? I think they're going to take a, somebody in the, in the secondary. That's my opinion. I mean, look, you could obviously you could take a receiver depending on what happens with Pittman. You could Bowers is the know. name that, that everybody here literally is going to say. You could definitely do that. I mean, that would be. If I just don't think he's going to be he's there. He's not going to be there, is he? If he's there, I think they would take him. I think they would take. I just I don't know that he'd be there. I think he's would gone. they trade up? Is he a big enough talent they would trade up to get him? I'd explore it. I would definitely explore it. I mean, I think you're probably – I've talked to a lot of people this week, and it's good we're finally getting to NFL talk after Club Apple piece to talk about. But, but, you know, listen, it's more fun. Um, I've talked to a lot of people this week who think the first 10 picks of the draft are going to be offense. That, that Dallas Turner or maybe Jared Verse – Is that because of the riches of offense or because it's a defensive depleted draft? I think it's because of the riches of offense. I think people just look at this offensive class. Like, I've talked to a lot of people who think the top 100 picks are going to be f- fantastic. Like, it's very deep top 100, top three rounds, and then it goes off a cliff. So I think a lot of teams are going to be using those back-end picks to try to trade up early. I actually think you're going to see a lot of action teams trying to get up in this draft. Which is opposite the Ballard MO, right? Because yes. Ballard typically is trade. a let me move back. Correct. And I, I don't think – I do not think teams are going to be hoarding picks in day three. I think a lot of teams are going to be saying, look, let's let's package our fourth and sixth round picks. Let's package our fourth and fifth round. It's like, let's move up because the, the, the talent there is fantastic. But, yeah, I think if, if Bowers is there, I think the Colts would absolutely consider and probably take him. And for those that are unfamiliar, that's the tight end out of Georgia, which yes. is the closest to the prototypical new era tight end, yes. right? It's a great player. And then, again, you got the corners who there's not like a guy. There's not a, de- a Stingley who you're like, oh, he's top three, top five. But I think there's a lot of guys who are going to go in that 10 to 50 range. Um, and, if, and if Kenny Moore walks, you know, there's an obvious need there. And I think it's a secondary that you could upgrade it anyway. So, yeah, I think that would be a spot to look at. There's a lot of rumors surrounding what's going to happen with Legereus Sneed in Kansas City. And yep. the reason I bring that up is not to get the ire of Jake and everybody else. It's legitimate that there's been rumors – you know, on the lying season that the combine is of yes. maybe Legereus Sneed could be a good fit in Indianapolis. Do you see that? And, and what's the cost if the Colts or if the Chiefs ultimately do tag him? What do you think you're looking at to go get Legereus Sneed, who would I think pair very well with Juju Brents? So yeah, so he's he is tagged. He is tagged, and so um, I was able to break that. Not from Taco Bell. I was going to say, was that it? Should have been <laughs> at the cantina. Right? Like, wouldn't that have been great? It was that, no, it was actually in this room. But I was able to break a couple of days ago. They were going to tag him. They've now tagged him, and so I think. Look, 
if you look at what two tags would cost, okay, this year's 19.8, so let's just say 20. And then the following year, it's a 20% raise. It'd be 24 million. So that's like two years and 44. I don't think he's getting 22 million a year. I just don't think that's going to happen. But I do think he's close to 20. Like I could see him getting, you know, four years and 18 million per. You know, I think that's possible. Like four and 72, four and 70. So, would he speed up that rebuild if the Colts decided to go that way? The rebuild look, of the secondary more I, so than the draft would. Yeah, I mean, look, he. I thought he was the biggest All-Pro snub in the league last year. He was incredible. I mean, McDuffie was their first-team All-Pro. He played better than Trent McDuffie last year, and McDuffie was awesome. But Snead, the nice thing about Snead is he plays in the slot. He plays outside. He can play zone. He can play press. I mean, his best snaps, in my opinion, are press man because he just plays like a boxer. I mean, he right. just gets at the line of scrimmage and will maul you to death. But I think he's probably going to cost a second-round pick, and then he's going to be an expensive contract. So some teams are really going to have to be all in on him. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Do you think the franchise tag is more often than not pays a guy more than what he would normally get or is a total buzzkill for that guy? I think it depends on the situation, but more often than not, I would say that that guy probably wants to get the market because, yeah, like like for Snead right now, $19.8 million, I think that's probably close to what he's going to get annually. Maybe it's even a little bit more. But if he hits market, he's probably going to get forty, fifty million guaranteed. Right, right. So I, mean, I like, guess you're right because you want to make sure you want to cash long-term. in while you're healthy, right? Yeah. And with him, you know, he's had he's had knee issues at times, like nothing horrible, but just kind of like he missed most of training camp, that nagging knee injury. He's 27. Like if you're him, you want to cash in now. You know, you don't want to go through that extra year of sitting there and going, all right, now, now look, I think the Chiefs they say that hey, they're still trying to sign him. I think they're waiting to see what happens with Chris Jones. If they sign Chris Jones, I think they will trade Snead. If they don't sign Chris Jones, I don't think they're going to lose both guys. Well, and, I, you know, Indianapolis could potentially, maybe not this year, but you find yourself when you have that, – that's – if you draft well and you have young players and then all of a sudden you've got to start extending all at one yep, time, you're going to lose guys. I mean, that's just the reality, right? Yes. And, and they're open about the fact – Chris Ballard was open about the fact of, hey, hey look, you know, we, we want to keep our guys – that's the first priority, but you can't always do it, right? You can't. It's hard. I mean, you know, you look at these teams that have drafted really well in, in recent years, and a lot of those teams are, of course, the best teams in the league. But, like, we're just talking about Kansas City. I mean, that, that's a team that, like, next year they've got a ton of guys because they drafted four or five guys who can play every year. And with the Colts, they have a lot of good young players. I mean, at some point, like, Pittman now is up. Got to pay him, right? I mean, you look at, you know, some of these younger edge rushers they've had that have started to come on. You look at you look at a guy like Juju Brents in a couple of years, right, when he becomes extension eligible, if he continues to, to go on that upward trajectory. The problem that fans have, and I get it, I 100% get it, is like, we can't lose this guy. We can't lose that guy. You have to lose some of those yeah. guys. I mean, that's just reality. You have, to, Otherwise, you're the Saints, and you're $100 million over the cap every year, and you're just, you're just basically robbing Peter to pay Paul, and at some point you're going to be an expansion team because you're going to have to let it all expire. But, like, it, the, the, the key is if you draft well, even if you lose a guy or two like that, you can replenish and replace, and you have a cheap contract to do it with. I think that's... You know, that's the thing 
you know, that's why Buffalo right now is in pain financially because, frankly, up until recently, they have not drafted very well. Well, what was the – you know, Buffalo this year, when they were eliminated, the last – one of the last comments nationally that was said about it was, hey, this this might have been it, right? Yeah. Like, the, because it now all of a sudden – Von Miller's contract is so gross. Like, that, that's among other things, but – It's brutal, but, like, it's, it's also like, look, they, they drafted Kyer Elam. Kyer Elam can't play. He cannot play, right? They, they didn't find any depth, like, at safety for a while. Yeah. So now, like, Poyer and Hyde, like, they're good players, but they're in their 30s. They're expensive. Now Hyde's leaving a free agency, and they're going to release Poyer, I think everybody expects. But they've had to re-sign guys into their 30s. They had to pay Von Miller yeah. a fortune because Boogie Basham wasn't, wasn't good. And Greg Rousseau's been fine, but he hasn't been a guy who's giving you 10, 12 sacks a year. And so you end up in this spot where you don't have any cheap contracts coming in. You pay Dawson Knox. A lot of money. Now, they finally, they drafted him. Kincaid looks like he's going to be a star, but now you've got Dawson Knox making $14 million a year to be a backup. Like, they just, they are now in a spot where they're in, they're in pain. And Gabe Davis is going to leave, and Leonard Floyd's going to leave, and Epines is probably going to leave, and Daquan Jones is going to leave. And it's like, that's the price you pay for not drafting well for years. Now you're stuck with all these guys who are aging and injured and old, and you've and you're got to kind of rebuild and retool. Which you're, art form is harder in the lying season of the combine. We tweeted about this the last couple of days. Is it saying words without saying anything, or is it blatantly misleading, which is harder for a general manager or more impressive to you? I think it's I think it's the saying nothing but still talking for twenty minutes. Nick Casario talked. We, the we other do day. it all day. <laughs> well, that's that's why we all get paid. Nick Nick Casario spoke for a minute, a minute even. I had it recorded on my phone. I tweeted it out. People can see it. He said nothing but cliches for a straight minute with a straight face. And it was like answering the most innocuous question in the world. It was like, hey, how do you feel about this draft class? And he just would not, like, nothing. Just, you know, they're young, they're talented. We're going to see what happens. We're going to evaluate. We're going to, and you're like, just one time I'd love a coach to come up there and make a listen. These guys suck. These guys aren't good, man. But, like, the league mandates we got to pick seven of them. So we're gonna, and we're gonna hope for the best, and we're gonna hope somebody's dumb in front of us and passes on a guy we like. But like, frankly, not good, not that talented. Like, just one time. Although the closest, really, I could ever remember that happening was here in Indy with Ballard when they were trading Carson Wentz, and he basically went up to the podium and was just like, "Yeah, we're moving on. We're we're done with this." <laughs> Look, it was unbelievable. He, he was walking up to the podium and his owner pulled him aside and said, "Just so you know, there's zero chance that you're going to have Carson Wentz next year, so have fun with that." <laughs> you know what I mean? It was it was incredible. Ursay wanted nothing to do with Carson Wentz, period. I remember sitting there and thinking like this is the most honest I've ever heard somebody be about a player. And then I was also like, what is he doing, though? He's going to tank any ability to trade him. And then Washington was like, wait a minute, we're Washington. <laughs> he, he knew Washington was in the league, right? <laughs> he was That's like, bottom line. Washington's like, what about a second? <laughs> I mean, Ballard must have had to, like, be like, oh, we'll call you back in five minutes and then compose himself. I wonder if Chris was like, how about a first? And, like, if he actually had the guts to ask for a first-round pick for Carson Wentz, or if he was like, you know, we'll take the second. That's why you go to Taco Bell, live Moss. That's right. Get the commanders going. So you are here. Your last day here is when? Uh, tomorrow morning. You will go how many more times to Taco Bell Cantina between now and then? If anybody would like to meet me uh, tonight at about 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I will be living Moss. I might write the column while living Moss tonight. I am, I am jacked up to go. I'll be there. I'll All be right. There. They got a DJ in there? 
They they haven't, but you know they ought to. But I haven't been there on a Friday or a Saturday <laughs> night, though. For all I know, it could be a rave. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, okay. I got to get a Taco Bell PR person on the phone. But can you explain to me what the hell's happening? <laughs> well, we will look forward to that. More than no, no offense. More than the football columns, right? No, none taken. <laughs> I'm not even writing a football. Co- I wrote I wrote a notebook. I'm written, I'm writing one more notebook, and uh, and then Taco Bell. That's it. So people can look forward to that. Yeah. All right, we look we look we do look forward to exactly that. He's Matt Verderam of SI, covers the NFL nationally. And, again, can't wait for that Liv Moss Taco Bell Cantina post. Matt, great to finally see you in person and looking forward to keeping up during the offseason. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Joining us now on the program, talking about the Combine and more, he is with CBS Westwood One as well. He has been on this program. Ross Tucker, who has been very patient in waiting, and my apologies for that. Ross, first off, happy Combine to you. Yeah, happy combine to you guys, even though I'm not there. Believe it or not, I've only actually ever been there one time for it, and it was fantastic. But if I don't have, like, an employer paying me to be there after I just was away from my family every single weekend from the first Eagles preseason game to the Super Bowl – no offense, fellas. I'm not, I'm not doing it. <laughs> no, I'm, trust me, no offense taken. I, You know, I actually – I was wondering about this, and you would be a good person to, to answer this. And I mean this as no – listen, from a city standpoint, from an economic standpoint, uh, the more the merrier, right, as far as we in Indianapolis are concerned. But I am curious, the, the number of people that each franchise sends here – in my opinion, Ross, and you tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but but I get this feeling that like the number of people that are here for each franchise is probably like 250% higher than actually technically needs to be here in a working capacity, but you got to cover all your bases. Is that a fair statement? I would say it's definitely fair that they that there are people from organizations that go there that probably don't need to be there. Um, But what I would tell you is, I think, you know, if you're meeting with prospects that you like or want to find out more about at every different position group, a lot of times you want the position coach to be there, right? I mean, you you want to get their opinion of the guy. So it's not just the head coach. It's not just the coordinator. You kind of want to know what the position coach thinks of him as a player as well as, you know, as a person. For those meetings, you know, you want the position coach to watch them in the workout. Now, there are teams that are not sending coaches, not sending head coaches because they can watch the workouts later. They feel they can get more work done. I understand those things. Some people think it's really just like a, uh, a party thing uh, at night and it's not as necessary. It's primarily about the physicals and you don't need to be there for that anyway. So, uh, there's differing vantage points on that for sure. Ross, this year we've talked about the depth at wide receiver in this draft class. We've talked about the potential offensive weapons, and maybe you're getting five, six, seven, maybe eight offensive players out of the gate in the first eight picks. 
the Colts are slotted at 15th. Brock Bauer has been mocked to them. A couple cornerbacks, a couple edge rushers. Maybe they go for a wide out there. If you were in charge and you're looking at 15 in this class based on a de facto rookie season for what you think is your franchise quarterback and Anthony Richardson, where are you leaning at this stage? Well, I, honestly, like if if he's still there at 15, I wouldn't hesitate at all. I would take Brock Bowers. Um, you know, I, I think that would be ridiculous to me if he didn't go until 15. The guy was arguably the best player in college football the last three years, um, certainly the last two years. We were talking about him. I did a Georgia game. I did the Georgia game where he got hurt against Vanderbilt. And we were talking about him as it relates to the Heisman. He's a fantastic football player. And I think it's the most undervalued position in the sport right now. I mean, you look at these teams, think about what Travis Kelsey means to the Chiefs. Think about what Kittle means, obviously, to the Niners. I mean, Mark Andrews is the number one weapon for the Baltimore Ravens. I think Sam Laporta is probably second for the Lions after Amon Ross St. Brown. So you're talking about a position that makes a huge difference in my mind in the outcome of games. And especially for a young quarterback like Anthony Richardson, that would be invaluable to have a guy like Bowers that is really, really hard to defend, really smart, really good run after the catch, and all the RPO stuff, all, all the stuff that Richardson's ability allows you to do. I'll tell you what you guys should do. Look at the numbers for Dallas Goddard the two years that Shane Steichen was calling plays for the Eagles. He was the single most efficient receiver in the sport. Look at it. Look, look at yards per attempt to, Dallas, to, to any receiver in 21 and 22. Dallas Goddard, a tight end of all people, was number one, and that's because of Shane Steichen. And, and obviously Goddard's a good player, but Steichen would know how to use him. Uh, I'm not even debating. If, if Bowers is there and I'm the Colts, I'm taking him. Ross Tucker is our guest. You can also hear him in podcast form along with his work with, of course, as we had previously mentioned, CBS and Westwood One, RossTuckerMedia.com, where you can read and see all of the different places in which his opinions and perspectives are available. Ross, one of the big question marks of this draft, and, and, and I don't know how much it would affect or have ripple down effect all the way down to where Indianapolis is at 15. Perhaps it doesn't. But do you think Chicago ends up staying at one, or are we going to see all of a sudden all hell break loose in the early portion of the draft itself? I guess the only thing I would say is if they don't stay, if they don't stay at one, I kind of feel like they would just trade down to like two and still get a quarterback. I'd be really surprised if they didn't end up taking a quarterback uh, with one of those first two picks. So um, I, I don't think it'll be all, all heck breaking loose. I think they'll end up taking a quarterback one or two. And I think, I think the first three guys off the board will probably be quarterbacks. You know, the one I'm not sure about is New England because if the first two guys off the board are Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels, I'm not convinced that New England will love Drake May enough to take him there. 
You know, it's interesting because J.J. McCarthy, all of a sudden, you, you tell me, Ross, it seems to me, I mean, obviously, the guy can play. I mean, you know, he's at Michigan. He, he's working with Jim Harbaugh. He wins a national title. His name, all of a sudden, is starting to creep into conversation of, you know, is he all of a sudden somebody that if they are looking in the teens at quarterback, is he going to be available to them? Or could there be teams that maybe even would trade up because they feel like all of a sudden he's going to go earlier and they don't want to miss out on it? It's a really good question. It's interesting because I talked about J.J. this week on the College Draft podcast as well as the Raw Sucker Football podcast with Greg Cosell today, uh, the, the NFL Films legend. And neither one of those guys are all that high on J.J. McCarthy. So uh, while possible that that they would go ahead and they would take him – I don't think you need to trade up for him. I mean, if you take J.J. McCarthy, you're really falling in love with sort of the intangibles and the leadership. I, and people can check out my social media, at Ross Tucker NFL, because there's going to be clips up there the next couple of days talking about it. But, I mean, I, I've talked to several people now that are not overly high on McCarthy, whether it's his arm talent. the fa- I mean, there's a lot of third downs where Michigan would – run the ball or they would throw a screen it was almost like they didn't really trust him that much in those situations so i don't know i mean i've seen other people make the argument that hey you know he would have put up the same numbers these other guys if he got more of an opportunity but you know that's conjecture and and that's speculation maybe it's right but i don't know i mean from what i've heard people are not uh some of the quarterback experts i talk to and I feel really strongly about their opinion, they're not all that high on J.J. McCarthy. I mean, they don't even think he's a first-round pick, let alone moving up into the top ten. CBS Sports and Westwood One's Ross Tucker is our guest. You can also hear him on the Ross Tucker podcast. Going back to Brock Bowers for just a second, because a lot of people, and I know mocks are just tools. They don't mean anything. They're not a guarantee of what's going to happen. They're just meant to be a, you know, a supplemental piece of information, but there's a lot of them where that's where he's at, is the 12 to 18 range, depending on how far down a mock goes for him. But I'm with you, Ross. I think he's an incredibly talented player, maybe one of the most talented playmakers in the draft. When you look at the idea of him falling down to the 12 to 18 range, is that more of the teams that are there due to there's a lot of offensive tackles, a lot of wide receivers, a lot of corners that are projected to go there? Is that more due to team need? Or is that more due to just the the overall view of tight end right now in the league? Well, so what I'll tell you about it is that they would argue it's positional value, and which I think is laughable because I think tight end is an extremely valuable position. But if you look like at the franchise tag numbers, and I know you guys are talking about that because of Pittman, but look at the tight end franchise tag number. It's like $12 million. I mean, so the thought process is if you take Bowers in the top 10, okay, I don't know, he's probably making like $8 million a year. So you're not really getting that much of a discount for, for a guy on a rookie contract as opposed to what a high-end veteran would be getting. Whereas if you get a receiver or these other positions you named where the, where the franchise tag is like $20 million, Well, if you have a guy playing at a $20 million level for $8 million a year, 
$8 million a year, you're getting a lot of value out of it. If you have a guy playing at a franchise tag level at tight end at $8 million a year, well, you're only kind of getting $4 million worth of value because you can pay somebody to pay to, to, to play at that level for $12 million. That's the, that's the concern that people have with taking tight ends high. I think it's galactically stupid. I think if you look at the teams that have really had – I mean, why do you think Brady won those last three Super Bowls? Gronk was a huge reason for that. I mean, I made a joke the other day that all you need to do to have a dynasty is have an all-time great head coach. You have to have arguably the best head coach ever, arguably the best quarterback ever, and arguably the best tight end ever. That's it. You know, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was, you know, Kelsey, Mahomes, Andy Reid, and Bill Belichick, Gronk, Brady. And people are like, yeah, see, you just need to get a tight end. I was kind of joking, right? Like, it's kind of hard to get three of the best ever at their different spots, but there is something there, right? There is something there about the value that those guys represent, both on the field, inside the white lines, but even even to the point where, let's say it works out for Bowers and he becomes the best tight end in the league. Well, tight ends are way behind, like, Bowers will five years from now. Bowers still won't even make what Pittman's making because of how much more wide receivers get paid to tight end, which I think is really dumb. But that's where it is right now. Ross Tucker is our guest. He, of course, is the host that you hear on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, along with the other places that his talents are exhibited throughout the course of the NFL season. Ross, when you look at the combine itself and just in general, I guess generically speaking, I'm going to take quarterback out of the equation. The position that most translates from college to NFL style and thus is the easiest to target a guy's success possibility is what and which position has the biggest chasm between those two styles of play and thus it's the hardest to pinpoint whether a guy's talent translates? Um, Good question. I'm going to say I think that the one that's probably most similar is probably edge rusher. You know, I mean, you can really see what those guys can do. Uh, it's such a position where it's, you know, speed, athleticism, explosiveness. You can see how good they are with their hands. You know, there's a long track record of guys that are – they get a lot of sacks in college and they go to the NFL and they get a lot of sacks. You know what I mean? Like, even like FCS and D2 guys, you either have a knack for doing that or you don't. I think that's probably the one that translates the most the least is really interesting um i think it depends uh, a lot you know i used i would have said previously quarterback without any hesitation but you know i do think nfl offenses are becoming more and more similar to college offenses in some way i mean if i'm being honest it's still probably you know quarterback um but i think you can make an argument in some offenses it's wide receiver. I mean, some of these offenses, those guys, those wide receivers, they're only running like two routes. You ever watch Tennessee play college football? It's like they either run a go route or a stop route. It's really unbelievable. They're not running the whole route tree. Uh, a lot of times they're not going against press coverage. I think wide receivers actually sneaky up there too. He is Ross Tucker. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. Of course, you know him from CBS Sports and Westwood One. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to the Ross Tucker Podcast. Ross, appreciate you making the time for us as always. Enjoy the rest of the offseason and hope we catch up here soon down the line as we get the countdown of the draft. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We're back at the Indiana Convention Center. Who's your corridor, Jay? Is it corridor or corridor? What you go with there, Jay? Corridor. Corridor. NFL Combine is upon us. This is day two that we are out here. Here is my old man yelling at clouds. And Courtney Cronin, who is an Indiana graduate, returned guest to the program and covers the Chicago Bears, who are sitting tentatively with the number one pick in the draft, is joining us here live. So, Courtney, I need you to be the judge and jury on whether or not I'm just an old man yelling at clouds here. All right, okay? I can do that. I, I totally get, and I'm not like a like, – I have in my closet – I'm not kidding you. Probably 10 suits. I haven't worn any funerals and weddings, right, at this point. Mm -hmm. I worked in TV, so I had to wear a lot of them for a long time. But I am definitely a casual dress, comfortable dress guy. Totally on board with that. But I I, I think a lot of guys think this looks cool here, and I think it looks absurd, even though I guess it's fashionable now. And it started about three years ago. During the Final Four was the first time I saw it. But wearing like a nice navy or gray suit with the loudest, ugly Nike high-top tennis shoes known to man to me looks ridiculous. Your thoughts? It's, I mean, we see it on TV. If you watch Get Up, none of them are wearing dress shoes. They're all wearing these, like, very tailored, like, sometimes it's the high-water pants, and that, to me, if you're tall, you should never be allowed to wear those. I don't need to see six inches of your lower calf. Correct. Not a fan. Um, But the, I don't know if that looks going away. I think I'd rather have that in college basketball, honestly, than coaches wearing athleisure. I'm not a fan of that look. I know I was dunking on Mike Woodson when we were talking off the air, but I do like that he still wears the suit. Right. I can appreciate that. I I just think my thing is this. If you're going to wear a suit, that's cool. You've got to wear it with dress shoes in your mind. And, I mean, it doesn't even have to be dress shoes. Like, I'm totally on board with, like, you know, the the shoes now you see with the white sole and black shoes that are kind of a more, like a Colhan hybrid shoe. That's cool. But, like, the... The Kyrie Irving high-top tennis shoes that are seven different colors with a navy blue suit, you just look like you're trying too hard. You want people to ask you about your shoes. Like, man, those are some great shoes. It's an, it's an attention ploy. You're probably on to something with this. We, but you've seen that here? Oh, my gosh. I've only me? seen people in, like, team gear and athleisure. Well, this, and is, the, this is the king of – here's the thing. It's just like the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. If you go to the Super Bowl, you'll be sitting in the Super Bowl, like, media hotel – and like John Elway walks past, Peyton Manning walks past, Joe Montana walks past, Jerry Rice walks past. None of them is wearing a Super Bowl ring, right? Some fat, balding guy that looks like he's got one foot on a banana peel and the other on a coffin walks by, and he's got three <laughs> rings on. And you're like, who the hell is that guy? And they're like, oh, he was the backup long snapper for the 80 Raiders. He's got to wear his Super Bowl ring everywhere, right? It's kind of the same thing here. You get all these guys walking around in their team gear, and you're like, what's that guy doing? They're like, he's the assistant video editor. <laughs> okay, well, what's the, the general manager's not wearing that. He's just wearing a flat-brimmed hat, right? So for your birthday, I goes. now know loud high tops and flat brim hats is what you I mean, I'm cool need. with it because I'm de- – look, like I love me some me, right? So, like, I'm going to be convinced that whatever I'm wearing is cool. But 
there you either go one way or the other. You just you know what I mean? You either go one way or the other. But anyway, uh, Courtney, the Bears are sitting at number one. Are they going to select there? I think they're taking Caleb Williams. I haven't come away with any sort of buzz that like doesn't lead you to believe that they're not going to use that pick. And maybe it's the biggest smokescreen of all time, and maybe that's calculated, but how can you trot Justin Fields after you've just kind of dangled him out there saying, if we're going to do right by the court, you know, our guy who's the locker room beloved leader, you're going to try to do something ahead of free agency so he doesn't live on this quote unquote gray area. How do you do that and then bring him back and he's your franchise guy? Unless there's some sort of calculated thing we're going to find out like in the moments of this thing going down. But I just, everything I'm coming away with leads me to believe that they are taking a quarterback at one. So the million dollar question would be this, and that is, what would make the Bears believe and I don't watch them as, you know, I mean, I don't watch the Bears game in, game out, practice in, practice out like you would. What would make the Bears believe that anything around Caleb Williams is going to facilitate for success for Caleb Williams any more than Justin Fields? Well, I think there's uh, like the upside for Caleb coming in. He's not coming into a bad team. Like so often we see teams take a quarterback number one overall, and they're coming into teams that look like the Houston Texans did a year ago right. to whatever. I mean, C.J. Stroud played out of his mind. They still didn't have the infrastructure in place to have a 10-7 and team and win a wild card game. That, there's a lot of luck with that. The Bears, the upside of like having Caleb Williams come to Chicago is he's coming to a team that finished seven and ten, that has an ascending defense, an offense that you have DJ Moore in, you have your franchise right tackle, they've got a good stable of running backs, you can upgrade at a number of different positions, and you would think that's a that's a that's a system that you're getting success out so of. So where did it fall short for Justin Fields? I think a lot of it's this it's nothing against him. It's just that like there's certain flaws within his game that I don't know have ever really been corrected from Ohio State all the way through year three in the NFL. Scanning down the field too long, sometimes just being uh, like almost like gun shy to to launch certain balls to certain places to throw guys open. The offensive line, he got hit a ton his rookie year. Got hit a ton. He got hit last year, and people are always going to look at the sack numbers. He took different hits last year, and I think that some of that was the scheme, the way that it was designed to protect him, to overcome some of the shortcomings, but... You know, he's a bottom third quarterback in every major passing category three years in. Have the circumstances not been great for him? No, they haven't. You know, th- two different coordinators, learning at two different offenses in a, in a very short amount of time, and the roster, what it looked like in 2022, you're not supposed to compete with that roster. It was designed for him to fail, but that's still, like, against the clock on the quarterback, and if you don't know, you know. I just think that after three years, sitting where they are right now with one and nine, it's too unique of an opportunity for them to pass up getting the best player in the draft, who right now the consensus is I mean, it could be what the Texans did a year ago, essentially. I mean, I know that it wasn't one and nine for Houston, but you get quarterback and then you go defense, boom, right there. You got two guys. If you hit on both, Mm -hmm. big if, right? Then you got a good opportunity. If they are to move Justin Fields, Courtney Cronin is our guest. You can find her work on ESPN.com covering the Bears. If they are to move Justin Fields, is there an inherent timeline or deadline for when this could happen? Is that a draft night trade? Is mm-hmm. that into the post-draft, into the summer type of deal? No, I think it's like within the next, like, so? you know, if it happened in the next 72 hours, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, 
if we're looking back at last year, they traded the number one overall pick the Friday after the combine. It was like the 5 p.m. news dump. I was not thrilled about it. I was in New Orleans trying to take like one last weekend before free agency. <laughs> and all of a sudden that broke and, you know, them trading the pick to Carolina, getting the haul. They need to capitalize on the pre-free agency market because it, that's when the price might be the highest for Justin Fields because then you have to consider about Kirk Cousins like if they don't I think before the, I think before the 11th before the legal tampering period opens because Cousins in Minnesota maybe they agree to a deal uh, you know preliminarily it doesn't become official till Wednesday same thing with Russell Wilson like where is he going to go once Denver inevitably releases him you've got to get the mark you've got to hit the market while it's hot for Justin Fields and that's right now I wouldn't be surprised if by the time the Bears leave here at the end of the weekend if the if a deal's in place and that we find out at some point next week that he's on the move somewhere you highlight the clear gaps in his game that have been present through the first three seasons of his career this is a difficult question but is that more on him or is that more as you kind of highlighted around all the chaos that's been involved around the Bears during that time. He's just, he, he came into such an unfortunate situation that I don't know if he was ever really set up for true success. And that's, they tried, um, but they also had a lot of undoing at the start of this rebuild two years ago that just unfortunate that he was drafted when he, when he was. But there are still, like, the fatal flaw coming out of college for him, for his game, was that he held onto the ball too long. And that has been a trend that in moments when he schemed to do it, it looks like there's improvement. But sometimes I feel like the habits die really hard. And those are things that, you know, whether it's coaching, whether they can't coach it out of him, whether it's just like an inherent thing that he's never going to be able to, you know, just rise above that. Then it's a healthy mix of blame to go around. But like, let's look at the Luke Getze situation. Like, he just got hired by the Raiders. The Raiders are telling you through that hire that they did not feel that Getze was the problem as the offensive coordinator. Otherwise, they don't hire him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they could have been in the market since they're at 13. They're not in a favorable spot to go trade up and mortgage the, the future of their franchise. the worst place to be if you're looking for a quarterback. And, and they're not going to do that. They're not jumping from 13 to 1. Their best chance like would have been to go get a Justin Fields. And I don't think they're repairing him, like pairing him back up with, with Luke Getze again, uh, basically on those circumstances. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. By the way, is legal tampering an oxymoron? <laughs> it's the weirdest phrase. Isn't it's just... it? Like, if it's legal, it's not tampering, right? Mm-hmm. It's, the, I guess, now, like, the official terms of the negotiation it's like your It's like your girlfriend telling you that you're permitted cheating. You know what I mean? It's called a hall pass. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, right? You know, it just seems odd to me. Um, so... Indiana calls you tomorrow and they say, Courtney, listen, we heard you on the radio. You were talking about the Bears. Uh, You know what you're talking about. You're in Chicago. You went to IU. We're in a situation with Mike Woodson. We should do what? Look, I I know this is a what have you done for me lately business. The team went to the Sweet 16 a year ago. I don't know how you have a basketball team that doesn't have guys who can shoot the basketball. Can Can you rationalize that for me? Well, the thing that's weird is this with Mike Woodson. Woodson came from the NBA. Mm-hmm. He's a player's from coach. A, from, a, from a coaching standpoint. 
the style of play in the NBA, and in particular the style of play that New York ran, was one where you have the NBA in general. We just had an NBA All-Star game where people got tired of seeing guys pulling up from half court and hitting shots, right? Everyone in the league can shoot. You got five guys on the floor for Mike Woodson's NBA offense where you have scorers and shooters all the way across the floor spaced out. So it is enigmatic to me how he goes into a college system where if the, the if the selling point of Mike Woodson was the fact that he was an NBA coach who has NBA style and NBA flavor, then why are we not seeing NBA roster build at the college level at Indiana? The reason I said players coach, it's like always the first thing I'm going to think of with Mike Woodson. I don't know if it's a recruiting thing. I don't know if it's the roster construction. And obviously NIL makes things much harder now. I don't know that I don't know if he's the right fit in terms of that for this unit for this team because I don't know that these guys. I'm not saying they're not being coached hard enough. Not would I'd never say that for for any reason. But like the same stuff's popping up after the Illinois game, after what happened Tuesday night. Like I just. Where, where's the change going to happen? How do you have a basketball team well, with guys who can't shoot the ball? There's nothing on the horizon at all. And, like, and I think the thing that is frustrating is that. For this particular team, mm-hmm. in Mike Woodson's explanation of the shortcomings of this particular team, the he put, and I've said this a lot on, on this show, and you tell me if you disagree, Mike Woodson has basically said that the, the engine started to fall apart because one of the key pistons of Xavier Johnson started misfiring. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been misfiring for four years, <laughs> and, and it misfired at the place where it came from. So they put their eggs too much in the basket of one guy that has a precedent of being unreliable so you kind of are getting what you you asked for right i that's i think that's probably the best way to put it i mean now and what the, the roster looks like next year like where's malik is malik renew going to be back here well even he if hit, they stay like that's where it like, starts right you got to yeah. retain renew you got to retain Mbako. but the biggest issue this year has been guard play and there's nothing in the recruiting class they have a mm-hmm. good big man in liam mcneely but they're going to have to hit it out of the park in the portal and they failed to do that this past off season. i don't feel like He's, I don't know if he's used the portal to his advantage by any stretch. And it's hard because some coaches don't want to buy into that. I think he's that. tried. Well, I think they want to. They want to be the NIL school. That's why it is jarring to me that they But, like, why so can't much. they? That, that's the yeah. thing. The brand itself should be enough of a draw now for in the pay-for-play era because yeah. that's what it is. But it's not. And so that's for an outsider, somebody who's not covering the team anymore, that's what I can't understand. Like, what's, what's short-circuiting there but th- from allowing that to happen? This, I think this has a lot to do with it. And if you have a guy that if, – if NIL money is how you are enticing a player to come to you, mm-hmm. then that player is, press, is putting precedent on dollar or individual stock versus like – so in other words, the brand of the team isn't as important to that guy as, as he himself. But the brand could right? help make that guy a lot of money. Uh, understood, but – this is where I think we err in Indiana. I think we in Indiana think that Indiana is a bigger brand than Indiana is. I think we in Indiana think that a 16-year-old kid right now in San Antonio, Texas, thinks of Indiana in the same breath as Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Louisville, and UCLA. That's always been the delusion, though, And in right? reality, that kid thinks of Indiana in the same breath as Iowa State, Vanderbilt, Cal Berkeley, and North Carolina State. 
right? And so then you get people that are like, oh, but we have all this money where we can get them here and, and et cetera, et cetera. And then that kid comes here and plays well, a la Khalil Ware. But he's doing it for Khalil Ware. He ain't doing that for Indiana, right? That's the double-edged sword of the whole thing. And that's, but, but, I, I think, the challenge they get into. I don't think that's an Indiana problem. I think that's a college basketball problem. And why I have issues with that is NIL works at other schools. For whatever reason, in the early goings of this new era since 2021, it has not worked at Indiana. But, but give me the schools where it works. I mean, it's it, working at Purdue. It's working at Kentucky. Like it, well, it's working at I would disagree with Purdue because um, other than Zach Eady, I don't know that Purdue is enticing players based on NIL, at least the, of the current roster. Kansas, okay? Well, a kid's going to go to Kansas because he's seen them play in like eight Final Fours in the last 12 years. A kid going to Indiana, Indiana fans, like the guy sitting right now that's sitting there at a BW3 somewhere watching Indiana is convinced that a kid wants to go there because Isaiah Thomas played there. Well, but That, that was 40 yeah. years ago. I've had and I'm an alum. Like, I felt this. When I was a student journalist, when I was one of these, like, hard-ass student journalists, I was like, I'm not rooting for the team. I'm only covering, you know, I'm covering it objectively. I would get so furious about people touting five banners, 1987. Right. I know, I feel like sacrilegious saying, saying this in this state it's right now. It's totally true. Like, I wasn't alive when that happened. Like, so holding on to that part of the past, if you look outside of the bubble, more or less, the people that they're trying to entice to come to Indiana, to, you know, have the Adidas branding behind, like, major marketing deals, whatever it is, they're selling a dream of the past that doesn't exist That's in the exactly current time. Correct. But... You're, the people who are holding on to that are the ones who prom- who are promoting, oh, wow, how could somebody not want this opportunity through an NIL deal or a booster collective, whatever it is? So you graduated from Indiana in 2012, right? In 12, yep. So you graduated from high school in not eight? eight? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were, in 2006, you were, like the time that Indiana really got on your radar of going to school was probably about 2006, yep. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So 2006. So if you look right now at today's player that is so get like an indiana selling point that, that indiana fans think is a calbert cheney sure like calbert cheney damon bailey like you know da, da, da. calbert cheney played in 1993 right so a kid right now that is a senior in high school 1993 was 31 years ago right that yeah. kid's 16 years so 15 years before he was born right so if you look at it that way, I, I'm just doing quick math on the year that you were born. I'm not trying to date 90. you here, right? 1990, okay? Mm-hmm. So how relevant to you was Quinn Buckner with Scotty May? Not relevant, but I also didn't grow up in Indiana. Like if you grow up here, you're okay. entrenched in it. But to me as somebody, for, as an outsider, like How relevant history, to you was Jerry Sloan as a bull? Not very relevant right. because it was such an it was a completely different era, and that's my point. Like nothing against any of those guys, right? But mm-hmm. I'm saying like today's high school sophomore, high school junior blue chip recruit, he doesn't care about Calvert Cheney, he doesn't care about Damon Bailey, he doesn't know about any of those guys, right? Because mm-hmm. it's the same thing, and that's that's I think Indiana's biggest challenge, quite frankly. I mean, a totally different rabbit hole, but nonetheless, no, but, I agree. I mean, it's this is the world we live in doing sports talk in Indianapolis, <laughs> right? Um, this. Back to the back to the combine, which is the reason you're here. Courtney Cronin joins us, of course, from Chicago, and the Bears are kind of the big player in this draft because of the fact that they sit at number one. From the things that you hear, the things you talk about in Chicago, this is a draft that's deep at what position? Wide receiver, for sure. Um, I think we're going to see a lot go in the first round, and there is a gap between the top three and the rest of the group. Um, offensive tackles, edge rushers, those are like the top three positions 
as far as like strength uh, because last year we didn't have a deep edge class which is good for a team like the Bears at potentially nine to utilize that pick on a defensive lineman to pair him with Montez Sweat but there's you know you have to, like the safety class will start picking up on day two we'll start to see the linebackers go on day two but I think that there's like those three like the, and quarterbacks I mean there's there's five quarterbacks who are probably going in the first round that's you know we couldn't say that about last year's group. I can tell you that much. And, you know, it all is such a – it's like the positions are so top-heavy because if you expect one through three are quarterbacks, four, five, six are wide receivers off the board. And then when does your run start on defensive linemen? Is it eight and nine to Atlanta, to Chicago? And then when do the offensive line? like it feels like almost like sectioned, like quarterbacks will go here. And I know we play this thing out every year and expect it to, you know, go the way that we expect it to go and if there will be some team like the Houston Texans that fleeces all of us and are thinking well, by doing what they yeah. did and then the other the, you always have to count on either Washington or the Raiders also making a ridiculously stupid <laughs> pick outside the box that throws everything into a tizzy right well I mean Mike Mayock's not the GM anymore so I don't know if you're going to get any overdrafts for you know cornerbacks who you know are on meth and getting arrested for that Did you see the Damon Arnett thing the other day really? wild yeah he was really his fourth arrest in the last couple of years Arrested in possession of meth. That's like Jeremy. That's like Jeremy Mayfield stuff, right? (laughs) It's insane. But yeah, no, you're right about that. There's always one team that you just shake your head at every single year. How on earth? I mean, Detroit was that last year, except that it panned out because it was Jack Campbell and Jameer Gibbs, and we're all looking at yeah, Gibbs was the one that everybody's like, what are they doing? What are you doing at twelve? And then yeah, lo and behold, NFC North champion team right there, and they they seem to get it right. Bears with one and nine in the first round of the NFL draft. Courtney Cronin of ESPN.com is our guest. We've talked about what they might do at one. What's the likelihood they would be enticed with how deep offensively, especially at wideout this draft is, to move back from nine? I think that you know, depending upon how the board falls, like let's let's just assume they're taking a quarterback. Let's that it's part of the equation, so there's not yeah. extra picks here. Their picks right now are one, nine, gap to like seventy eight, I believe, because they traded that pick, their second rounder to Washington for Montez Sweat. So you know, depending upon how the board falls, I don't think they're going to reach if a player that they'd like is is within their reach if they wanted to move back in the first round. So maybe that's one way to get the center position solved. If you can go back to like 17, 18, move back from nine, pick up that first rounder, pick up a second in the process because they need to close that gap. I could see them doing that and even still getting a receiver later in the first round. I just don't think, you know... What they do in free agency, given how good of a group of defensive linemen they're going to be available in the next coming weeks, I think it's really going to dictate what the Bears do at, like, it's going to foreshadow their draft plans. How much did the dynamic of the NFC North change in the last year when you look at what Jordan Love, look, I, I was very critical of him going into the season, and he proved me and a lot of people wrong with what he was able to do in Green Bay. The Lions speak for themselves, making that historic run of the NFC Championship game, and then the Vikings have a decision to make with Kirk Cousins, and like you mentioned, the Bears with Caleb Williams and Justin Fields. Where is the state of the North with what's happened in the last if you don't, year? If, and that's a great question, because if you the Bears, if you don't get this quarterback thing right, the gap is further widened between where you are and where the Lions are. I mean, Jared Goff, he just get, he's going to get paid this offseason. Jordan Love, they hit on him. They hit on a quarterback again, so I know that's to, much to the chagrin of everybody else in the division where they get it right three times in a row. 
I think Cousins has the Vikings between a rock and a hard place, and he can rake them over the coals if he wants to one more time because they're not a team to move from 11 all the that, way that, up. That's that fellow that one. does play-by-play for the Vikings was over Paul here. Paul Allen, yeah. yeah. He needs a haircut. You want, me, you want me to tell him that? Yeah, he needs a haircut. He looks like, uh, JMV said he looks like Beethoven. He kind of does. <laughs> oh, my right? God. He kind of does, right? <laughs> he it, You didn't see it gelled up, though. For game day, it's like perfectly quaffed all the way back. And that's like with the eyebrows and the gray hair and the curls. Like That is his look. That's a brand right there. He looks like Ragnar. <laughs> who's the, that's the Viking, so, by the way. By the way, did you see that Arnett, when he, the, sec, the last time that he was pull, arrested, uh, he was pulled over, they let somebody else drive the car, and then they waited like six blocks later and pulled the car back over, and he was driving again. <laughs> like, that's not... That's not it, Character concerns. That's why you have the combine, so you that, can, like, weed these things out so you don't draft somebody like that. let's not say like weed, that. okay? Like, <laughs> although that is, you know, in, that's probably okay in Nevada. Um, last question would be this. This is the most important. You had mentioned that everybody's wearing, like, all the, everybody's wearing the swag, right? They're walking yep. around. They got the, at its core, the team logo or the colors that you have to admit deep down, you're like, if I worked for that team, I would load up on free merchandise because their stuff looks cool. Raiders by by far. And I covered them. Like silver, black, white. Like There's no better color combination. It looks good on everybody. Everybody looks good and slim wearing black. And you can wear it at all times. Like... Of course. Like, I grew up, like, I wanted a Miami Dolphin starter jacket. I didn't buy one until my sophomore year at IU because, like, kids were getting, you know, jumped for them in Chicago. My dad's like, you can't have one. So I had to wait until I was, like, 20 to go get my teal, green, orange, white Miami Dolphin starter jacket. I see a lot of people in those colors, like, walking around, but you stick out like a sore thumb when you do that. That's correct. Because it's a very loud color. Is there any more, is there any franchise that is a more perfect fit upon relocation than the Las Vegas Raiders? No, I think I think it was. That I was mean, a, Oakland's the only city more yeah. fitting, right? Or L.A., like when they were down there yeah, for yeah. A, a couple decades. But no, Vegas, I think, has been a great fit for them and for that brand to go out that there. That brand, that's exactly correct. It's it's a good it's a good fit. Now, I, I I have been very open, Courtney, about the fact of my affinity for the logo and color scheme of the Seattle Seahawks, and they're sitting two tables over to the right of us. Do you think I should go over there and just ask them if they've got any stuff? Well, see, these are the same people. Like, you're walking around being like, who's that guy? That's the assistant video yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. Those are the people. Oh, I, I know, yeah, They have yeah. no pull to give you any of the gear. So, like, <laughs> that's, that's a problem. That's probably true. They're Unless act- he's going to give you the gear that they're he's only, wearing. They're working for the gear, actually. That's their payment <laughs> for the week, right? So they're not going to surrender any of it. That, no question about that. She is Courtney Cronin. You can find her work on ESPN.com all season long and all off-season long covering the Chicago Bears, one of our favorites. No relation to Mick, right? None. None. <laughs> or Kevin Cronin or any of the other. The REO Speedwagon guy. I used oh, to yeah. get that one a lot. Well, they're from, aren't they from Illinois? They're from, yeah, they're from the South Side. Yeah, yeah. They're from like Palos or Tinley. Tinley. The one and only. Don't Courtney mess Cronin. with Tinley. No, don't, don't <laughs> mess with Tinley. Thank you, Courtney. Thanks, guys.